What's going on, Law Nation? Welcome to a new episode of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, your favorite place for learning about the world of alternative passive investing so that you can have more freedom, flexibility, and fun. Now, if you're ready to kick that billable hour to the curb, start by going to attorneybydesign.com to download the Freedom Blueprint. This will also get you access to partner with us on one of our next passive real estate investments. We'd love to have you on board so that we can create that next passive income stream for you and your family. All right. Today, let's talk about build to rent. Haven't chatted about it too much unless you follow me on social media, um, which I have chatted about it before. You know, what is it? Well, build to rent or build to lease, BTR, BTL, it's a community of single family houses that are built for the purpose of renting them out, not to sell. Traditionally, you build these, these single family communities and then you sell each house out individually uh, to people who want to buy that single house. Um, this new con newer concept, it's actually been around for a while, but it's just got a lot of momentum right now. Um, it is the opposite. It, you build the community in order to hold on to it and rent these out. Now, why is this asset class so powerful? Why is it so hot right now? Why are you actually hearing that term, BTR, build to rent so much lately? Well, it's due to the supply and demand drivers, the space. Think about what COVID did. It it made us want more space. We don't want to be lined up right next to each other or live right next to each other. We want space. So what does that mean? Maybe we don't want to live in that tiny apartment building or those condos. Um, we want our own space. We want our house. We want to be outdoors. Um, we want to have a backyard for our dog, for our kids to run around in. Um, another thing it did, COVID actually pushed it out so that we could work from home. It, it accelerated that timeline. We were all trending that way. Companies were trending that way already, but the pandemic just pushed it a lot quicker. So we're able to work from home. So we have the option rather than working from the city centers where you typically had to live to work. Now we're able to work from home and we can live in the suburbs or even further out or even in a different city. So we, there's not that need to be in the city center any longer. Another big advantage to uh, the build to rent asset class is a little bit different from the space idea we're talking about from the renter's perspective. From this perspective, we're talking about uh, from the investor perspective. So if you are a passive investor or an active investor and you're looking into the build to rent space, the big advantage is the idea of multiple exit strategies, right? With build to rent, you can build all these houses. And as you build them, first of all, the development risks start coming off the table because you can build one house, rent it out, build the second house, rent it out, build a third house, rent it out. Whereas if you're building an apartment building, you have to build that whole building. Maybe there's 20 units in that first building, 20 in the second. You might be able to do it in phases and, and build 20, build that first building with 20 units, then rent that out, build the second building with 20 units and rent that out. But that still takes a lot of time compared to these houses where you can just build a house, rent it out. So you get cash flow coming in the door pretty quickly. So you take a lot of that development risk off the table and back to the exit strategies. Once all these houses are built, you don't, you have the, the primary exit strategy most likely is to sell the whole thing to a large private equity company like Blackstone or someone like that. 
But if that's not in the cards, let's say the economy crashes, let's say things change in the economy, something's different, it's not as great as it is right now, we're, we're, the demand is not there to buy this huge um, uh, build-to-rent community any longer, well, you do have multiple exit strategies, and some of those exit strategies are this. You can sell off those houses in one at a time, just like you would in the traditional sense where you build up this community and then sold off the houses one by one. You still have the option to do that. You can sell it one by one. You can sell them in tracks of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever the, the, the market uh, desires, you're able to do that. So that takes a lot of that exit risk off the table because you have multiple ways to uh, exit your investment and get out of it uh, when, the, when the time is right. So that's, that's in a nutshell why I, why build the rent is so powerful right now. It's so hot and you hear people talking about it so much. Um, our guest today, Adam Stern, is an expert in the build to rent space and is the founder of Strata SFR. He's transacted on more single family rental portfolios than any other single professional in the, in the SFR industry. Adam Stern, he's a real deal maker and you'll learn that real quick after this interview. Great guy. I can't wait. Let's jump in. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Adam, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Johnny. How you doing today? Uh, doing great, man. Doing great. How about yourself? Good. Always a good time in the real estate when you're in this kind of market. So uh, thank God I'm busy and uh, <laughs> doesn't seem like it's slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it, man. You got, you got yeah. to be ready, but right now, full steam ahead. It always does, though. It always changes. That's the exciting. You never know when it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, let, let's jump straight into your story, man. Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, take it sure. back as far as you want to. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, so always been in real estate. First job was a title insurance sales guy for a regional real estate company. Uh, 2007, decided it was time to break out on my own. I was like 24 years old. And I started a securitized real estate investment company to help 1031 exchange clients find um, uh, securitized managed real estate investments because there was a lot of appreciated real estate in 2007. Uh, lo and behold, my timing was really bad and 2008 happened. So that all went belly up and uh, I found myself selling title insurance again and eventually ended up starting a company, uh, a partner of mine, my, my eventual partner started a company called Own America. And the idea behind that company was there's a housing meltdown, real estate agents had no idea how to work with investors. So we trained agents online how to work with real estate investors. Uh, I was the guy that went around the country selling the real estate program to brokerages. So I got a really good chance, a, a good opportunity to meet real estate agents and understand what the market of investment real estate looked like from the agent standpoint. Um, and eventually when we built that network up to like 4,000 plus agents, a company called Invitation Home uh, raised a billion dollars on Wall Street to buy foreclosures, other companies like Progress Residential and Colony Capital at the time and American Residential Properties all raised all this money with a strategy of buying foreclosures and then turn them into rental properties. So we basically changed our it we turned our agent network into an acquisition force where a lot of these funds could essentially plug into our agent network, let us know what they wanted to buy and how they wanted to buy it. And we created some simple technology to allow our agents in the field to submit properties and get 
their properties offered on in very high volume by a single institutional investor. Um, that eventually gave way to me finding there was this really untapped reservoir of owners that owned more than a few rental properties. And I realized for my partner at the time, there was no way for these portfolio owners to actually sell their portfolio as a single asset in a single transaction. Um, so we created a, we turned Own America into a website where you can upload a spreadsheet of, port, uh, upload a, a spreadsheet of your portfolio properties and get an instant evaluation, instant analysis. And that allowed us to track lots and lots of portfolios. And I became uh, known as kind of the SFR portfolio guy in a pretty small industry at the time. So fast forward to 2018, we, we sold that platform to another company and I found my exit from that company in 2020 because all my institutional investors were like, hey, Adam, keep sending us portfolios. We like the deal flow, but we want this new thing called Build for Rent. And Build for Rent is this new trend that emerged starting in markets where it actually became cheaper to build a new house than it was to buy an existing house. Uh, started on the West Coast in places like Phoenix and Las Vegas. And soon as home price appreciation got to the point where in most markets, major markets around the country, it's actually more cost effective to build a brand new house than to buy an existing house. Uh, institutional investors decided to start raising money specifically to buy entire subdivisions of single family rental properties, including detached homes and townhomes. So when I started Strata, it was with the intention of creating a single family rental portfolio brokerage that specializes in only that. And the other half of our business is a, a build for rent uh, uh, brokerage that specializes in packaging and pricing and structuring deals between builders and lot owners and land developers and institutional investors wanting to build new construction rental housing. Gotcha. And that in a very long winded way is my story. Uh, yeah. Done in under <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, great job, man. Great job. Um, you rewinded a little bit. It sounds like you've always kind of been in real estate in one way or another, even in the sales jobs, selling title insurance, mm -hmm. you know, did, is, did you grow up with real estate or how did you, you know, how did you get involved with that? Where did you see, you know, why did you see an opportunity in real estate rather than going a traditional, you know, corporate path or something like that? I didn't grow up in real estate. I grew up with a father that was an entrepreneur. Uh, my dad was a taxi cab driver in New York city for 30 years. He owned his own business. I got to know what being a business owner was like through him. I saw him leaving the house at three in the morning, not uh, coming home till, um, you know, two, two in the morning and being happy as punch because he didn't answer to a boss and he made his own hours. Um, <laughs> I like real estate. I naturally gravitated to real estate because I'm a people person and more than a people person, I, I like the process of getting to know people and figuring out how I can add some value to their worlds. Um, I just happen to be really good at figuring out real estate because I'm a very... I'm a pretty level-headed guy and real estate always just made a whole lot of sense to me because at the very core of it, it's based on people and how they act and how they live. And if you understand and can get your head around why people want to live in certain places and what drives them to take certain jobs in certain markets, it's a pretty easy thing to understand real estate, especially investment real estate. And that's kind of what drew me to it. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, let's jump back into what you ended on with, with Build to Rent. Um, yeah. For people out there that have no clue what that even means, I mean, what, at its most basic level, what, what does build to rent mean? What is that asset class? So build for rent is basically when you are building new housing products from the ground up and you're holding it, you're building a specifically to hold it as rental products. And there's a few different ways that firms do this, including buying finished product that's vacant from builders 
uh, once certificate of occupancy gets reached. There's buying lots, finished lots, and then hiring a builder to build your housing units for a fee on your lots. And what's happening more and more now is firms are actually buying land before the lots are even built and then hiring someone to build their lots and then hiring a builder to build their homes. So it kind of runs the gamut depending on an investor's risk level. A lot of investors like the risk and want to take on land developments and uh, vertical building risk and as well as lease up risk. Some firms that have um, a more conservative outlook and don't mind clipping a lower coupon rate will just come in later on in the process and buy the finished home, in which case they're getting a lower return because they're taking lower risk. They're not taking development risk or uh, they're not taking building risk. So by and large, the, 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 the definition of built for rent is building new construction housing eventually to hold as, as rental properties. Right. And these are, these are like single family houses, right? These aren't apartment buildings or anything like that. They're not. Yeah. So they're, they're single family houses. And a good way to think about it is like the, um, the base product is like a single house that you build from the ground up in either an existing neighborhood or all by itself. That's outside of an HOA. Um, most institutional investors that I know and I work with don't buy that. Um, what they do is they look at entire communities they can buy and own in total. So, you know, like for instance, a community we just did uh, here in Charlotte was 66 single family detached homes in a single neighborhood. Builder was going to build all these homes to sell them retail. And I came to him with the prospect of saying, hey, why don't you sell it all to my investor? They'll pay you a price at today's values. So your upside is going to be limited, but you know exactly when you're going to be selling the properties based upon when you build them and when you deliver them. And at the end of that process, after the builder built all 66 homes at a clip of like 10 to 12 a month, after a certain amount of time, that investor owned that entire neighborhood and it was all rented out. And now it's a single cash flowing asset, very much like an apartment building, except it's not an apartment building. There's individual single family homes. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, what do you think has contributed to all this momentum that we've seen with build rent? I feel like maybe, I don't know, five, seven, eight years ago, you didn't hear about it as much. You might've heard it in passing, but nowadays you hear more and more about these huge communities and institutional money coming, flowing to it and wanting to buy, you know, these, these full communities um, that yeah. were built for build to rent. What, what do you think is attracting so much attention for this space? I, it's funny, you know, um, I think overall, the trend away from home ownership has something to do with it. You know, students that are coming out of college right now have higher student debt. So it takes them longer to um, start families and want to buy a house. Like, I, I don't know the statistic, but, you know, people are generally older now when they think about getting married and having kids and the need to actually settle into one spot. Uh, it's becoming longer and longer. So the trend, even before COVID, was there where people that, were younger in their 20s and early 30s were waiting longer anyway, but they liked the idea of living in a single family house because a lot of people grew up in a single family house. They liked the idea of having a lawn. They liked the idea of having a pet with a yard to run around in. And when it comes time to actually have a family, as opposed to living in an apartment building, there's not an impetus for you to move out of your single family rental. So take that kind of natural shifts in buying versus renting habits. And then coming up to a time where COVID happened, and now people are working from home in higher numbers. They spend more time in the place that they live. So having a larger, you know, single family house or townhome as opposed to living in an apartment building, um, you know, it made a lot of sense. And I think 
COVID exasperated people's need for more space, which helped, you know, single family houses in general as rentals. Um, and certainly because the reason why bill for rents exploded the way it has is because the home price appreciation has taken off so much in all these markets. You look at a house you can build, lot and building, you might be able to build it for $350,000, but that same house in an older vintage with higher maintenance requirements might be going for 420, 430. So it's like, do I buy the home that's already existing uh, or do I go through the regimen of actually building a new one where at the end of the process, as opposed to having an older home that needs more maintenance, now I have a newer home that needs very little maintenance for a very long time. So, uh, you know, kind of in summary, natural uh, demographic shifts were already heading in that direction, exacerbated by COVID, and it's been getting uh, uh, carried on because it makes financially more sense for a lot of investors to build new instead of uh, um, instead of buying old. Yeah, yeah. There's a ton of factors, right? I mean, everybody nowadays wants more space. They want they mm -hmm. want more space. A lot of people are working from home. So they don't necessarily need to live in the, the urban core anymore. You can live a little bit further out where you can get more space. Yep. Um, and, and then that, like you said, the housing prices are just through the roof right now. Um, but that doesn't take away from the, the, um, you know, the, the want and the desire to live in a single family house. And the, and the interesting thing, that's exactly right. And the interesting thing right now is because they're the, the institutional investors and fund investors have, have set the bar so high for what a single family rental experience should be. I think the more people are out there wanting to rent single family houses and they're looking at a home owned by Joe Smith, private investor that does a pretty good job of keeping up his house, and, you know, does the best he can with it versus like what a company like Tiber Capital, for example, does to their houses. They're saying, All right, I could spend $1,450 and get a moderately good house from a private investor. But if I spend a few hundred dollars more, I can get like almost a brand newly renovated house that's professionally managed with all the things that comes along with that. Um, because of the professionalization of the single family rental sector, because of what's been happening with institutional influx into the space, um, I think people are getting a taste for higher qualities of living, which is a good thing. But it also, come, it also means generally rental rates are going up because institutions, the way they figure it is, if we can get $2,400 a month for rent, we're going to get $2,400 a month for rent, as opposed to a lot of my clients who are smaller uh, SFR owners, they're thinking I could probably get $2,400 a month for rent, but I'm only getting 17 right now. And I don't want to spend the money to get that higher rent. So I'm just going to stick at $1,700 per month, keep the property as is not risking any vacancy. And that's like a big question with a lot of smaller investors. Um, do I try to compete with the bigger funds and increase the value of my products? Where like the net at the end of the day in terms of cash flow and return might not even be there. They might actually spend more money have a nicer house and get less at the end of the day? Or do I just keep it the way it is and manage it the way I like managing? Um, so there's a bifurcation between institutional quality product that's out there right now and um, individually owned products. Um, and I, I, both are doing well right now. Yeah. Vacancies are all, all time lows across the board because at the end of the day, people need places to live. And um, America is a great place to live. And, yeah. and, and, and rent products, you know? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you summed it up pretty well there. It, it, you have the convenience of kind of living like you're in an apartment building, meaning you, you have professional property management, you have some amenities. I mean, perhaps there's a pool, there's a playground, all that kind of stuff, but you also still maintain your own space. You have your own separate 
uh, dwelling to live in. So it, it yeah. has kind of the best of both worlds. And with the quality, um, as it continues to, to rise, it, it, it's just all the more, um, all the more wanted and, and desired by, by folks out there. Um, looking at this from a passive investor standpoint, um, let's say, you know, you've seen some syndications out there, some funds put together for these types of deals. Um, a lot of passive investors are a little bit, you know, they're not that familiar with it. So they, they ask a lot of questions like, what is it? Well, I heard, I heard the development is risky. Um, I'm used to investing in apartment buildings. This seems a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. How would you address some of those concerns? Yeah, so it's interesting. There's a few different ways that a, a smaller private investor can get exposure to the U.S. single-family rental housing market. Uh, one of the easiest ways is to buy a REIT stock, right? You get uh, a dividend with a REIT stock. It's not exactly, exactly correlated to the actual rental properties because it's, a lot of them are publicly traded, but you can get exposure that way. And you can research online who does the best and who gives the best returns. Um, there's owning rental properties yourself. And to me, that's the riskiest way to do it because there's time risk. There's the risk of not having the right resources to fix your properties or not enough money to, uh, to tend to things that go wrong. Um, it's, it's probably the, the best way people build wealth in single family real estate by just buying a property or two or three or, or 10, like a lot of our clients. Um, but a lot of people don't have the time or the energy or even the want to do that. So other ways that, you know, people can get involved is um, a lot of funds have been launched from people called sponsors. Um, sponsors are essentially a real estate investment expert or a real estate investment firm that goes out there with a business plan to buy a kind of real estate. Let's say in this case, single family houses. And let's say the investment strategy is to buy existing single family houses, renovate them, rent them out and manage them for cash flow. Well, as an investor, you might look at people that are doing this and look at that sponsor and say, what is their experience? What is their track record of delivering returns? Have, ever they, have ever they ever lost any money for anyone? Do they have any pending lawsuits against them? That is more like you doing research on the person that's buying the real estate. And what you're really doing is buying in as a limited partner into that entity that's going to be general partnered by the real estate expert. And they're going to pay your preferred return. And you're generally going to get an all in return. That's a combination of cash flow and appreciation when they ultimately sell it. Um, and that's a really good way to do it. If you could find a really good sponsor. Um, and that's, you know, for, for a, a private investor, I feel like those are the, those are the best ways, either investing in a REIT stock, buying a home yourself or finding a good sponsor and letting him do the work for you. Um, what's happening by and large right now is, a lot of funds that are private funds, they're raising uh, what's called LP capital, limited partner capital, where they're the general partners and they're, late, they're, they're raising millions or hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars from private high net worth individuals or even non-accredited investors. And they're able to deploy a lot of this capital because they're really good at what they do. They have a good acquisition strategy. They have a good strategy in terms of finding the markets they want to go into and identifying the kind of assets they want to, they want to invest in. And more, most importantly, how to operate those assets to get the optimum level of cash flow. Um, it, and those funds are not hard to find. You just got to look to see, you know, who's out there putting themselves out as a fund investor. And then you can inquire. Most of these websites have portals where you can say, I'm an investor. I want in. I want to contribute limited partner capital. And um, those funds are, are designed to do that. And then the, you know, the very, very top of the spectrum 
or the institutional investors, where they don't raise private LP capital. They're basically going to insurance company. Sorry. They do raise LP capital, but they don't raise them through private investors. They do it through institutional means. They uh, raise money through a private wealth fund, sovereign wealth funds, insurance companies, and they raise billions of dollars and deploy that, uh, that money uh, into the real estate market. So it's, it's interesting nowadays. It's, kind of figure out why it's so hot. The real estate market right now is because people on the retail front, they need good places to live. So that's most of the market. Then you've got smaller investors trying to pick up whatever they can. And you kind of have this like newly formed group of, which is a massive group, which, you know, accounts for, you know, tens of billions of dollars, even hundreds of billions of dollars every year in buying up as much real estate in a certain segment in a certain market that they can. Uh, and you have all these players in the market fighting over a very limited amount of inventory. And that, more than anything else, is the reason why built for rent is so hot right now, because there's just not enough inventory out there to keep pace with retail demand and private investor demand and institutional investor demand. There's just so many people going after the inventory that, you know, uh, yeah. inventory is low, pricing goes up. Yeah, absolutely, man. And we, we just closed a, a raise for a 98 unit build to rent um, investment last really? month. Yeah. So a couple of things that I, I always love to point out with, with the build to rent model that, that's interesting from a passive investor standpoint are, you know, the development risks are mitigated to a certain extent. I mean, if you have the infrastructure built out, depending on what phases you do and how you, how you allocate the, the work in the phases, you can rent out some of those houses as they're built. So you can start bringing in cash flow um, as you build rather than having with an apartment building where you did a development and you have to wait till the whole building is done before you could move anybody in and create cash yep. flow. As these totally. houses are complete, you start bringing in cash flow incrementally um, all the way through the build, which is really a really interesting way to mitigate the development side risk. And then the other thing is is the the multiple exit strategies, right? If if you've if you've got them entitled so they're on separate lots, at the end of the day, if the market shifts and you aren't able to just sell, you know, the full property to a large institutional investor, then perhaps you can just sell ten of those houses or one of those houses and yep. turn into a typical um, HOA community, something like that. Um, yep. So there's different ways to exit depending on if the market does happen to change. Yeah, you hit the, 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 the nail on the head. I, I think that the, the reason why Bill Friend by and large is so attractive is because of exactly the reasons you just mentioned. The, the fact that you're dealing with a bunch of little things instead of one big thing, which means you've got different ways to lease it out at different stages and you got different ways to sell it. And at, at the end of the day, you know, it's funny when you look at commercial real estate, when you think about buying and selling commercial real estate, it's very black and white. When you're ready to buy, you got to find someone that thinks it's a good time to sell. So the, you got to find someone on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, right? You think it's good to buy. He thinks it's the best time to sell. You make a deal at the prevailing cap rate. Residential houses have a totally separate dynamic where someone doesn't have to think it's a good time to sell. They might have to sell. They're moving jobs or they just got divorced or whatever. Um, so as opposed to commercial real estate, which is basically based on strictly investment criteria, strictly more or less business logic, you interject, you know, uh, uh, people's personal experiences and personal lives into residential real estate, which creates this alternate exit opportunity, which is a great feature of Bill Threat. It's a great feature of owning single family houses over multifamily. Now there's a flip side of that, which is they're harder to manage. They're harder to operate, but because of all the things that are done in the institutional realm over the last 10 years, there's more technology and there's more know-how being shared and how to do that well over a large period, over a large number of properties than there ever has been. So I think you can make a very good case in saying 
if you are, are going to be a single family rental investor, it is easier to do so now than it was five years ago and 10 years ago because of the technology and because of all the things that were learned over the last 10 years by some of the largest investors in the world. Yeah, definitely. Where, where do you see this trend going? I mean, there, there's so much institutional money being poured into the space. Where, do you see that trend continuing? And, and what do you see in the near and long-term future for, for this asset class? It's a great question. I, I love talking about this because one of the things that I see, like we, we, we did in 2020, uh, we did probably uh, $80, $80 million in volume. Last year, we did just north of $300 million in volume. And the vast majority of the built for rent and the built for rent projects that we built, I'm sorry, that, that we sold, they, were, they weren't nuanced. And I think what we have coming down the pike is a much more nuanced approach on how to build and what you build and where you build. So it's been a big land grab for most companies where all they want to do is get the dirt at the right price in an area that has high population, good population growth and good solid economic drivers. And as long as they build their homes in that area, they can count on people renting them and then getting a return. As the market moves along, I think it's entirely feasible to think that because there's going to be a lot of inventory out there, people are going to want to, or at least uh, uh, gear themselves toward lifestyle communities, you know, and that's going to cause, and I think investors, especially institutional investors, are going to have to uh, lead the way on this. You know, I've got people talking about building uh, rental communities around golf courses so that it attracts retiree types. I got people talking about building communities around uh, fitness facilities, which will attract, you know, younger, more active adults. Um, you know, communities are now being thought of, uh, I forgot the name of the fund, but they're building smart homes that are all solar powered, which kind of appeals to people's sense of, you know, leaving uh, less of a carbon footprint. So you have all these really cool nuanced opportunities or opportunities to create nuanced products to speak to a very specific demographic where you might lose the vast majority of people because they're not looking for that specific of a product. But what I think you can do is grab a whole, a whole lot of market share in a much smaller market, right? So people that are dog lovers probably account for 20% of the overall population, let's say. Um, if you build a dog lover community, you're looking to grab 30% of that 20% instead of getting your half, half a percent of the entire, of the entire housing market. Right. So yeah. I like that idea of nuancing the product that's built and I think that's where it's going. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you might be able to get a little bit of a premium from the tenants that want to live in those nuanced communities as well. Absolutely. That'd be the whole idea. You couldn't get a premium for the tenants by offering a very specific lifestyle and a very specific service for that lifestyle. Uh, I don't think that's going to be attractive to an investor. It's only going to make sense if they can get a better than average rent for the, uh, for the property, for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? All right, man. Before we jump into the Freedom Forward, you have one last golden nugget for our listeners. Uh, last golden nugget. Can, can I make a personal plug? Absolutely. Well, we'll do that at the end. We'll do that at the end. No, no. Well, it, it's not. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to talk about a, a website I just launched that's gonna, that, that helps people trade and share real estate well, in the off-market. Yeah, let's do it. That was it. So, so I'm an off-market specialist. I make my living by building my network really large and... Um, and uh, stay in close contact and, and, and farming my network. And that includes phone calls, emails, personal meetings at networking events. So I just launched listhive.com, which is a way for you to basically, it's called listhive.com, the real estate social network. You basically build an online community of people, you connect with people, 
And when you connect with people, you can share your off-market opportunities with them. So the more people you connect with, the more off-market opportunities you get to share and see. Uh, so that whole idea of off-market, uh, I think it's a very important one, especially for investors. And I don't think there's enough technology out there to help people do what I do well. So I built it and uh, it's, it's live right now. Nice. Yeah, everybody go check that out. I had a chance to, to check it out as well. There was a property that came across my desk that, that Adam sent that looked interesting. So I got to, got to experience the platform uh, firsthand. Um, all right, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Um, when I go, I go to CrossFit four times a week. So I, I find that I'm less acute and I'm, I'm more prone to getting stressed if I don't wake up in the morning and go work out. Uh, so I love CrossFit because I can turn up my brain, sit there and basically do what the guy says. And uh, that works out pretty well for me. Yeah. Yeah. Taking orders instead of having to give them all the time. With all your okay. success, what is one limiting belief that you've crushed along the way and how did you get past it? One limiting belief that I crushed along the way. Um, I think a main limiting belief was when I, when I wasn't working for myself, I felt like think, the way things were are as good as they could possibly be. And I felt that way because there was a ceiling on my thought process. I could only talk to so many people on that. that, that, that I could only talk to so many people because I could only make a certain amount of money. Um, and what I realized after starting my own business was that was just in my head. There's no limiter to how much money you can make or how many people you could talk to or the impact you could have in their lives. Um, and as soon as I got rid of that ceiling in my head, I realized that doing things like starting a new business and a real estate technology platform and buying a building, which I'm in right now, just it, you know, four weeks ago, uh, I never thought I'd be in this spot. And it seems like it was always available to me. I just had to get past that roadblock in my head of believing I can make it happen. Um, so love that. That's a great answer, man. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom? Um, don't let the little things steal your time. I find that it's probably the most important thing for me. I can sit here all day and, and, and return emails that have to do with very, very small bits of my business. And I might spend all day doing that and not being able to get to the things that really have a large impact on my business and my life. So what I've been doing lately is I've been compartmentalizing what I spend my time on, which means a lot of the small stuff never gets done and it goes away. And I'm spending most of my time working on the major stuff, which includes my family. I've got a wife and four kids. So when I have a basketball game to coach or when I have a family vacation to plan or when I have a date night with my wife, I'm not thinking about work because I basically said to myself, when I'm doing the thing that's most important to me at the time, which I prioritize, I'm going to put my all into it. And when I started thinking that way, I feel like I started to get a lot more done and started spending less time on the little, little things. Love that, man. It allows you to be present, right? Yeah, it was the most important thing, especially when you have kids. You could, you could always be off in your own head when really important life events are happening, like your kid. You know, my, my, my son, Jackson, got his first basket in basketball. Huge event in his life. Could have easily missed that because I had to do some work on something that really wouldn't have moved the needle for me over the long term, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Awesome, man. Last but not least, how's passive income made your life better? Um, so I don't have, I don't have a, a large real estate portfolio. I have, I have some properties. Um, and what it does for me is not necessarily the dollars and cents I get out of every month because, you know, I run a successful business where most of my money comes from that. But 
it's made my life easier because it reduces my stress level and knowing I've got something coming in that I'm not looking for. Um, I've done the work, it's coming in. It's not a whole hell of a lot of money, but it's something. And knowing that I did the right things to set that up, that it worked and it's actually creating cash flow, and then I can build that in the future when I decide to stop finding so much money into all the things I'm doing business-wise, but start to focus more on passive income. Um, it gives me a very comfortable Zen feeling, knowing that it's all there and I can either grow it or not, but I have to know how and, and, and knowing how to do that. Perfect. All right, Adam, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to listeners find out more about you. Uh, thanks a lot, Seth. I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Uh, you can go to stratasfr.com to find out more about our SFR portfolio and built for rent brokerage business. You can go to uh, listhive, L-I-S-T-H-Y-V-E.com to join for free and start sharing off market properties. All right, brother. Catch up soon. Seth, thanks a lot, man. See you. All right. Adam Stern, ladies and gentlemen, again, a real deal maker. You can tell immediately my man gets it done. He figures out what the missing pieces are and he makes it happen. All right. Reach out to Adam for any questions on the topics we discussed today, especially single family rental portfolios or development or build to rent. Major key for today, I believe the build to rent asset type and strategy is here to stay. Our culture our society has changed. I think it's a permanent change. People want space. People want to work from home. They want that flexibility. The, the thing that we talk about on the show all the time, the flexibility of, of time, the control over your life. I think that that's here to say, I don't think people are going to want to go back to the office, even though some companies will make them. So I think that build to rent strategy is here to stay. As housing prices continue to soar and folks are priced out of the home buying market, the demand and the desire of living in a home is still strong. So they're going to have that desire for, for a single family house to live in and build a rent fills that space. All right. If you're ready for a change and ready to take action, partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals. Go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. All right, kids. Till next time. Enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.